Good morning and welcome to Gateway. Uh, if there are any uh, students, grades 6 through 12, that might have uh, missed it, uh, you are dismissed now if you want to go back. You know, it's uh, good to be with you again after a couple weeks away. While I was away, I was thankful to turn the keys over to the capable hands of our friend Jeff Ranson and uh, our student minister, Luke Martin, both of which did a fantastic job uh, filling in while I was at St. Albans and while I was away last week. And uh, I'm thankful to have people that can step in and do uh, a great job. Some might argue better than me. I, I, I might be the one that argue that, but uh, it's always good to have that. Uh, and, and speaking uh, of Luke, Luke and his wife, Brooke, well, mostly Brooke, actually, uh, they welcomed baby Ella into their family this week. And uh, you guys are lucky. First service, I didn't think to put a picture up, but uh, we got it. Uh, so that's Luke and little baby Ella and uh, Brooke and Ella are doing, are both doing really well. And so if you see Luke or Brooke, well, you'll probably see Luke before you see Brooke. So if you see Luke, uh, make sure you congratulate him. And, you know, I want to thank all of you. We have a meal train set up for uh, the Martin family. And so uh, if you're able, we have, at last I knew we had three slots still to fill up on that. And as somebody that just recently kind of went through that, it is just such a huge blessing uh, when people make meals for you and uh, or, or, or think about you in that way. So uh, you can go to our Campus Life Facebook page and, and sign up for those. Uh, or uh, if you have any questions about that, you can see me after the service and I can help you out with it. Uh, but I'm thankful to be part of a community here at Gateway that we can depend on to come around and uh, love on and support on one another uh, in, in the down times, but in the celebratory times like this. Uh, and so what a blessing Ella is uh, for the Martin family there. You know, this week we had a, a, a pretty landmark uh, decision come down in our country as the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and obviously that is a big win uh, for the pro-life community. And I, I feel like I, I want to say something on it, but I, I also uh, am nervous because this is how you end up on YouTube as a preacher, right? Like you say something, uh, and somebody's like, "I can't believe you said that." So I'm I, here's my thing. I'm gonna try. I try to stay with the Bible, and you know, but I'm also not perfect. And so if I say something that upsets you, well, I wasn't trying to do that. Uh, I, I'm trying to stick with the Bible. And so here's what I, I, what I think about this as I was, I've thought about it over the last couple of days. You know, we, we celebrate the lives of the unborn that will hopefully be saved through this ruling, through this decision. But as Christians, I would caution us to avoid taking too many victory laps in the wake of this ruling because there are many of our neighbors out there that we may lose the ability to share the love of Jesus with because we're too busy celebrating the win. And I've been hearing a lot recently about how the real issue behind some of the problems in our country is a heart issue. And while in many ways guns and abortion, it's apples and oranges— I believe that, true, that, that there's a truth that stretches across both of those issues, and that's that in our country, we have a heart issue. In our world, we have a heart issue. And, and honestly, I, I don't know what happens in our country next. There's some uncertainty there, because for all of my life and for the, all of the lives of many of us here, we have been under Roe versus Wade, and we've only known one way. And so there's some uncertainty there. And sometimes it's like, I don't know what to, is it going to get worse or is it going to get better? I, I don't know what it looks like. Obviously we celebrate the ruling and, and I celebrate the lives that will be saved because of this. We should celebrate the life 
and the lies that we say because God celebrates life. But sometimes, I, I, or in some ways, I fear what might happen now because we've addressed a symptom, but not the cause of the problem. And in my head, I keep picturing somebody that turns the water all the way on. The faucet is on full blast, and there might be holes that we, we plug, right? We, we try to plug, and we're like, okay, yes, all right, we got that hole plug. But the water still has to go somewhere because it's on full blast. The problem hasn't been taken care of. We've just addressed a symptom. And so we might ha- have plugged this hole of Roe versus Wade, but the faucet is still on full blast because we have a heart issue. And so as Christians, our work is not done because of a Supreme Court ruling. Our work to reach the lost for Christ continues, and in some ways, it actually might be more difficult now. And so let us love our neighbors as we've been commanded by Jesus to do. And remember that the confidence that we have in knowing that nothing could ever separate us from the love of Jesus is the same confidence that applies to people that we don't agree with. You know, as we sang the Waymaker there, I hear these promises of God, of who he is. And I think, man, I'm so glad that I have God in my life. And so many times we internalize these songs and and the message they have, but it's not all about us. I'm certainly glad that God is a Waymaker for me, but he's a Waymaker for the people that I don't agree with. He's a Waymaker and the miracle worker and the promise keeper for everybody. And we can go all the way back to Amazing Grace. Everybody loves amazing grace, right? But there is amazing grace for all of us, not just for me. Friends, God is the judge, and he's going to judge according to his scale. And I think by God's word, I know what that is, but he's the judge, he's in charge of that, and I am called to love. And so let us take less victory laps, let us post less hot takes, And let's have more love and empathy for others because everybody has a story and you don't know what story somebody has unless you seek to understand before you're first, or seek first to understand and then to be understood. There is grace for our past and there's hope for our future. And so let's love as we move forward as a country. Let us celebrate the lives that have been won, but also love our neighbors that might be struggling with different things going on. Let's pray. Father God, there is, it just feels like over the last month or so, it's, it's been a crazy time in our country. And I'm sure it'll continue to be crazy. I, I, I guess you could say over the last three or four years, it's been a crazy time in our country. We have just had a lot going on. And it seems like every day we're more and more at odds with one another. In some ways, it seems like we're ripping at the seams and coming apart. And so Father, I, I just pray that during this time, that we would, while we would take time to celebrate, God, we are so thankful that this victory has been won, that there, are, that there are unborn lives that will be saved as a result of this. But Father, I, I pray we wouldn't just sit this one out now or take a break. I pray that we would continue to try to love and reach our neighbors, that, that we would try to share Jesus with others so that we can attack the real issue of the heart that we can attack the evil that's going on, we would stop fighting against flesh and blood and instead start fighting the spiritual warfare, start going to you because it's much more than flesh and blood. And so, Father, I pray that we would love our neighbors and that we would love you and that we would seek to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
And so we celebrate this, but I pray for us as a nation, I pray for our world, and I pray for us as Christians that we would follow the Great Commission and, what, and the ways of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we've kicked off our summer preaching schedule with a series called The Themes of Genesis. And it has been uh, three weeks, and we've gone through three weeks, and we haven't even made it to chapter 10 yet. That's just how much there is in the first several chapters of God's Word. And, And thus far, we've covered the topics of life, of curse, and of salvation. And if you've missed any of these messages, you can always go to our campus page at gatewaychurch.net, and you'll be able to find the sermons through there. You can also subscribe through Apple Podcasts, and I would recommend that. If you're traveling a lot, you can always keep up to date, and you can listen uh, on your trip if you want. Uh, I've heard that some people love doing that because they can make me go at half speed and sound like I'm intoxicated, or they can make me sound like a mouse and go really fast. And so you can also have some fun with that. Uh, But I would encourage you to find the messages that you miss if you're out of town and you can stay up to date. You know, today we're going to be talking about the next topic, though, in our themes of Genesis series, and that is judgment. Now, that just the font looks like, whoa, it looks kind of menacing. Now, I've also had some question whether that's spelled right, and what I found out is it could go either way. You might be messing, it might be messing with your mind right now. You're like, there should be an E there. And trust me, as I wrote it every time this week as an English major, I was like, I can't look like a fool in front of all these people. Is there an E? And even yesterday, Karen Shea was like, I think you missed an E. I googled it, and it can be an E, and it can't. So just in case you think I'm a fool, there you go. Think I'm a fool for something else, but not because I didn't put an E in judgment. Today, we're talking uh, about judgment. And and before you stand up and leave, or before you stand up and cheer, uh, there will be no fire and brimstone uh, in here this morning. We've got the air conditioning set to 70. It's going to be the normal temperature. You know, we are going to be in Genesis chapter 11 this morning. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, will you go ahead and turn over there and be ready? We'll be there in just a minute. You know, we've, in Genesis 11, we've seen the story of Noah and the flood wrapped up, and we are about to roll into the next hero of faith in the form of Abraham when he gets introduced in chapter 12. But before we get there, we have chapter 11, and we're going to read the first nine verses of Genesis chapter 11 together this morning. So verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do now will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. 
You know, every week, it just seems like, as we go through each one of these messages, it just seems like we keep tripping up over our own feet as humans. Every week, we read about another instance where mankind messed things up. You know, one thing that we didn't cover last week as we talked about Noah is just really how much we owe to Noah as humans, as man, as mankind. Because you might have missed this previous, but in the early parts of Genesis, God, man, he's pretty fed up with humans. He's pretty upset with his creation once again. In fact, it even goes so far to say that God regretted even putting man on the earth. They were so rebellious, he regretted even making them. And verse 7 says he was ready to blot us out. Now there's like punishment and then there's getting blotted out and uh, he was ready to blot us out. But then it says Noah found favor in his eyes. Man, without Noah, where would we be? Would we even be, right? God was at his, it was at his last moment. His, it was like the last straw and then Noah found favor in his eyes. You know, for as angry as God gets and he gets pretty angry There's just something about us, about his creation, that he has a soft spot in his heart for us. Later in Genesis, for as angry as he was at the acts of Sodom and Gomorrah, he was still willing to save them, still willing to spare them if only Abraham could find some righteous men there. It's that same soft spot that saved Sodom and Gomorrah and that, that Noah was able to tap into that led to him sending his son Jesus to cleanse us of our sin, despite our rebellion. In the section of scripture we, we read from Genesis 11 this morning, we see that despite, despite being given a second chance after the flood, humanity continues to rebel against God, their creator. Their sinful ba- behavior and pride were an affront to his holiness, and God could not stand idly by and let it all happen. He had to do something. He had to act to, the, to do something that would ultimately initiate a new plan to rescue mankind through the seed of Abraham, through Jesus. In these verses, we see that these people have settled in a place called Shinar, and, and they decide to build a city there. Now, perhaps this was the first city ever built. It's certainly the first time we see it recorded that people gathered together and started working together on all aspects of their lives. They spoke the same language, and they were a determined group. In fact, they liked working together so much that they decide, hey, in the middle of the city, we're going to build a tower together. we'll We'll work on something together, and we're going to build this tower to the heavens. I don't know if you caught the reason why, but I want to go over it now. They, they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So they thought they could make themselves famous enough in the eyes of God that they wouldn't be scattered all over the earth. They, they thought they could make enough of a name for themselves that God would change his plan, would change what he had told them to do. That's just interesting to me. You know, people have been trying to be famous for a bunch of different reasons for a long time now, but to avoid being scattered all over the earth, well, that's kind of new. Well, I guess it's just new to me because apparently that was like the first reason anybody ever tried to be famous was to, to avoid being scattered over the earth. And I read this and I think, man, aren't we as humans just kind of silly sometimes? 
I, we make the same mistakes over and over again. I mean, how many times do we think that we can make our own way because it's better than God's way? Well, I don't, I don't like that way, God. I, I, I want to do my thing. So is there something I can do to change your mind? Because I think my way is better. I mean, how many times do we know that we shouldn't do something, that we're disobeying God, yet we still go for it? The people here in Genesis 11, they think that if they do something great enough, if they build something big enough, if they make enough of a name for themselves, then they can delay this scattering. That perhaps their great work will convince God to change his mind. Or even worse, if they can build this tower big enough, if they can build a great enough tower, if they can come together and do this, well, they won't need God at all anymore. Friends, listen, the only time that God has ever changed his mind and had mercy was when the person that was asking submitted to him and his authority. God has never looked at the, at the works of man and said, you know what? You did such a great job. Well done. You, yes, I will grant your request because you did so good on this. You get an A plus and I'll change my mind. Yes, you can have your way. No, God doesn't want your, your things. He doesn't want your, your work. He, want, he wants your heart and devotion. And without those things, our deeds and our accomplishments are like filthy rags. So whether it's a tower or donating huge sums of money to your favorite charity, if you're just doing it to impress God and your heart is not in the right place, if your heart is not with him, you're going to be disappointed. Jesus has to be ingrained in our hearts and the things that we do, for apart from him, we can do nothing. And our friends from Shinar, they, they have their priorities out of whack. They're, they're here to get famous, and they're trying to hang on to whatever they want over what God wants. So they build this tower. But this is more about more than just tower building. What's really going on here? Well, well first, the, this is an attempt to replace God. Here in Genesis 11, we see a record of the beginning of man-made religion. These people, they're making their own religion. See, last week we read at the end of chapter 4 that the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. But these folks from Shinar, they're trying to make a name for themselves. No longer do we want to be known as God's people. No longer do we want to be called under the name of the Lord. We want to make a name for ourselves. And they were, later, they were likely trying to build something that would later be called a high place where the Canaanites and the rebellious Israelites would come to worship their own God or any God that they chose. This tower was really a place of generic and idolatrous worship. And archaeologists have discovered that ancient Mesopotamian kings built tower structure called ziggurats, which is what you can see here. Perhaps you've seen something kind of similar to that with like the Aztecs or the Mayans. I know we all did a bunch of research on the Mayans prior to 2012, and that was for nothing. All right. But they took, they look a little bit like a, a pyramid, but without the pointy top you can see there. And many ancient people built tall structures like these as part of their religious pursuits. See, since the fall of man in the garden, humanity has struggled with trying to show God that we can do it on our own. God, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. I'm strong enough. I have enough willpower. I can do this on my own. And I don't need to rely on you. Humanity's been trying to do that since the fall in the garden. But actually, these ziggurat towers, they weren't so much about getting man to the heavens as they were about getting the gods to come down to earth. See, they thought if they could build a good enough tower, then their god might come down and visit them and dwell in this place. 
See, the tower was more about creating a sacred space in the center of the city where people could come and meet with and worship their gods. It was an attempt to build a place where a god would be pleased and happy to visit. It gave them the assurance that their god was present and right there in the middle of their city. You know, if you look over the course of human history, we've, all, we've always been very religious. We've always had something that we've worshipped. It wasn't always the Lord, the, the one true God. But we've always worshipped something. We've often messed up and worshipped false gods. But we've always worshipped a God. So whether it be Baal or Ashtoreth or Apollo or Zeus or Aphrodite and on and on and on, we've always worshipped someone throughout history. You know, atheism and this whole idea of not worshiping any God at all is really a a modern and kind of new idea that you wouldn't worship anything. And so here we are, only a few chapters removed from the fall of man, where Adam and Eve, they forfeited their easy access to the presence of God. He cast them out of the actual sacred space of the Garden of Eden because of their rebellion and disobedience. From the very beginning, since the fall, humankind has struggled to live in a right relationship with God. We struggled to listen and obey the commands of God. God had told Noah to go and to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth now. I've, I, the flood has wiped out everything. I need you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth now. But instead, these people, just a short time later, they decided to stop and gather together. They don't want to go any farther. They just want to stop here and do their own thing. They want to build a city. They want to build a tower They want to accomplish their goals over God's goals. And they weren't just trying to make a place where they could worship their gods, but they were building a city and this giant tower instead of obeying God and spreading out like he had told them to do. They were more focused on what they could do rather than what God wanted to do. And they wanted wanted to create and preserve their own safety without God's help and, and, and make a place that would help them Make a name for themselves. See, it's all shifted away from what God wants, and it's all they're trying to put the focus on them. They wanted to be known by their own name rather than by the name of the Lord. And this is something we struggle with even today. See, right before Jesus left the earth, some of his last words said they're pretty important. He told his followers to go and to teach and to make disciples and to baptize And he told his followers to take this gospel message to the ends of the earth. But what do we do instead? We're out here trying to build our own towers and build our own successes and build up our own lives and make a name for ourselves, hoping to impress others or even to impress God with our mighty accomplishments. When instead we've been commanded to love God, love others, and spread the gospel to the world. We become distracted by the ways of the world. The people in Genesis 11, they were trying to replace God. They were trying to prove that they could do it without him. And I fear if we're not careful that we're going to be caught doing the same. Cannot try to replace our God. Because here's the next thing we know. Our God will not be replaced. You cannot replace God. Despite all of man's attempts and all of his creativity and ingenuity, we cannot and will not ever replace God. We cannot reach heaven by our hard work and perseverance. There's no amount of hard work. There's no amount of deeds. There's no amount of money that you could give to get you to heaven on that. We cannot impress or coerce God to do what we want him to do just by what we've done here. 
God would later tell Moses that he is a jealous God, like we read in our focus verse this morning, and he will not share his throne or his glory with any other, especially not with any angel or human that he has created. Nevertheless, in our story from Genesis 11, God did come down to the tower to take a look. Now, did God need to come down to look at their tower? No, he could have seen it just fine from where he's at. But here we have our writer Moses. He's using a literary device to show us that this tower really wasn't as big as they thought. It wasn't as impressive as the people thought. You know, it's almost like, hey, God, look at what we've done. And he's like, let me peer way down to see how big this tower really is. And so God, he comes down, has to come down to get a good look at it. And let's face it, even our best inventions are not enough to improve God. It doesn't even show up on the radar of what God can do. So when God sees the tower, he proclaims the evil is still advancing and nothing will be out of character for them. I don't know if you've ever been proud of something, but it, it, like you were, you were like, look at what I did. And they come in and like, that's it right? That's what I kind of feel like has happened here with these, with these people in Babel. They're like, God, look at this magnificent tower. We came together, we put all our effort in, and we built this tower, this really high tower. And God's like, that's it? I mean, I, I, I could have done that like that, you know? That's all you could do? And in fact, I'm not even happy with you. I'm disappointed, right? He, he, God might have been the first one to say, I'm not even mad, I'm disappointed, right? He, he said, I'm disappointed here because what this shows me is that evil is still advancing and now nothing will be out of character for you. And, and this is what he means when he says, this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. God wasn't impressed. He was frustrated and disappointed that they just can't get it right. See, if they can build this city and this tower for idolatrous worship and gather all humanity into this one place, imagine what other evils they will do and the ways that they will pervert the worship of their creator. Once again, humanity had rebelled. Even after the flood, even after cutting man's ears down to 120, the human heart is still has a sinful nature within it. And the rebellion had returned. But God will not allow it to go on forever because he will not be replaced by man's rebellion or by a man-made religion. We cannot replace our God. And that brings us to point number three, which is judgment day is coming. See, when God came down to take a look, he was not impressed with their tower. Instead, he was disappointed with their arrogance and rebellion. And notice in verse 7, who is coming to deal with that rebellion? It says, let us go down. Let us. The full force of the divine Godhead is coming, which is infinitely greater than any combined effort of humanity. It's God the Father, it's God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the same Godhead that created the earth and made man in his image. They, he, is going to deliver judgment upon the people for trying to replace him, for trying to make a name for themselves and for disobeying and not spreading out to fill the earth like he had told them to do. And there are many ways that God could have punished them for trying to replace him, but he chose to confuse their language. Now, when you look at the other parts of Genesis, you know 
that the fact that they're still living is a plus for them because God, in a lot of instances, says, you're done, you're out. I remember he was ready to blot out humanity. So just confusing their language is a little bit of a blessing for them. And because the people were unable to fully communicate with one another, well, they had to stop the project. I don't know how many of you have ever been out of the country or in a place where, uh, where English is not the main language, but to try to work while you can't communicate with the other people, that's a pretty tough task because you're trying to do one thing that you maybe think they want, and they're trying to do something completely different. And then frustrations, they start to rise because you're like, just, it's just this simple thing, but you, when you can't communicate, you can't work together. Now, we could also talk about marriage and when you're talking the same language, but okay, that's another sermon. But this right here is the reason we have over 7,000 different languages on the earth. It all stems from God restraining evil at the Tower of Babel. And yet, still today, man insists in crossing over the guardrails that God has put around us to keep us safe. And so God has no option but to judge and punish the rebellion against him. And we'll see this later in the summer, but at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we see that a one-world, monolithic nation becomes the enemy of God. And guess what the writer of Revelation calls that nation? Babylon. And guess where the origin for Babylon is? That's right, in the Mesopotamian plain of Shinar, where a city named Babel was built. And there are at least seven verses in Revelation that describe God's judgment on Babylon, which is really his judgment on man's combined attempt to come together in a one-world monolithic state and oppose Christianity. And here's one of those verses from Revelation 18.10. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Friends, Judgment Day is coming. It's coming, whether we like it or not. Whether we like to think about it or not. Whether it's scary or not. The fact is that it is coming. It came for the people of Noah's day. It came for the people in Genesis 11. And it's coming for us even today. Evil is advancing and mankind is still trying to replace our God. And he will not be replaced. God will not have it and he will have the final say. Now, I don't know how many Star Trek fans we have out here. You've got to reach people on all kinds of levels, right? But as the Borg said in Star Trek, resistance is futile. And we can try to deny that Judgment Day is coming. We can try to run from it. We can convince ourselves that it's not real. We can try to build a mighty tower to make a name for ourselves. But all of that is futile because one day, Judgment Day is coming whether we like it or not whether we're ready or not. And so the question becomes, how are we spending our time in the lead up to that? Judgment day is coming for all. It's coming for the Christian and for the non-Christian. So how are we spending our time? Are we following the ways of Jesus? Are we following the ways of me? So this morning, are you ready for it? Are you busy lifting up the name of Jesus? Or are you busy making a name for yourself? It's a question that I think all of us need to ask because sometimes even we get it wrong. Even we kind of sneakily start trying to make a name for ourselves when we think that we're making a name for Jesus because we get away from God's word. The commands for the people of Babel were to multiply and to fill the earth. 
and they chose to disobey. Our commands from the lips of Jesus are to love, to multiply the followers of Jesus, and to fill the earth with his gospel. Are we doing that, or are we trying to make a name for ourselves? Are we disobeying just the way the people of Babel did way back in Genesis 11? Friends, we have to stop trying to make our own way and instead submit to the ways of the Father. There's nothing we can do to impress God. All we have been called to do is love God, to love others, and to make disciples in his name. Let's make a name for Jesus and not a name for ourselves. Let's pray. Father God, we live in a world that is at odds with one another right now. Especially recently, it just seems like we've gone through a lot. And so, Father, I just pray that we as your followers, we wouldn't be trying to make a name for ourselves. We wouldn't be trying to to put our own opinions out there just to, to win arguments or to win the battle, but that we would be focused on the war that we are fighting to reach lost souls for Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that we would stop trying to make a name for ourselves, that we would never try to further ourselves and pump ourselves up, but that we would always be pumping up the name of Jesus and to love like he did. Father, I pray that we would be in a right relationship with you, that we would be following you so we would know what Jesus would do that what would Jesus do wouldn't just be a cliche in our lives, but it would be actually how we think about our decisions and think about our words and think about the way that we love. What would Jesus do in this situation so that we can lift up the name of Jesus and not lift up the name of me? Father, I, there's a lot of things in this world that we can try to stand on. There's a lot of things that we can try to do in this world. But all of them pale in comparison to Jesus. All of them will let us down. And so, Father, I pray that we wouldn't take the bait on these different things. We wouldn't take the bait on the arguments. We wouldn't take the bait on our possessions or take the bait on success because all of those things are going to leave us feeling empty because Christ is the only foundation that we can stand upon as the solid rock and know that it will never crumble beneath us. So, Father, I pray that we would truly stand on the solid rock of Jesus and not be tricked into thinking that the sand we're on is actually a firm foundation. Father, I thank you so much for your love. I thank thank you that you have given us from the beginning of time until now, you've given us chance after chance. And eventually it all led to your son, Jesus, because you knew it was the only way that our sins could be forgiven, that we could have eternal life with you. So I thank you for that love. I thank you for the amazing grace that comes through Jesus. The grace that we need every single day to wash our sins away. I thank you for all of the blessings in our life. I pray that we never forget where they come from. Most of all, I thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with Jesus already, this world will tell you there's a lot of things you can depend on. But Jesus is the only way to the Father. And if you've never made that decision to come forth and be baptized, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter what you walked in with this morning. 
You can walk out a new creation today. You can leave your old life of sin behind, washed clean, washed anew, and walk out of here a new creation in Jesus Christ through the waters of baptism. So if you'd like to learn more about what baptism looks like, I'd love to talk to you about that, to submit your life and make Jesus the king of your life forever. If you need some prayer this morning, if you've been dealing with the things of this world, God, our creator, he has done all these amazing things, but perhaps most amazing is that he loves us enough that he wants a personal relationship with us. And he has given us this gift of prayer to be in communication with him, to to take all of our things to him. And so I'd love to pray with you this morning just to lift up your situation and involve him in whatever might be going on in your life because he's the one that can make a difference. So if you have a decision to make or just need some prayer this morning, I'll be right down front. But I invite all of you to stand and sing our final song together.